Candyman. 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 Hey, gays and ghouls. I'm Sean Reedy. And I'm Katie Toole. And this is Friday Night Frights. A podcast about systemic racism, poverty, and bees. So many bees. So many bees. Lots and lots. Lots of bees. Lots of bees. (laughs) You know, I generally don't associate, like, large number of bees with the city of Chicago. (laughs) Um, no, no. I don't really, uh... I mean, maybe generally see a correlation, but I mean, I guess in 1890, it was a much more like it was much less dense. That's true. Right. That's true. Like big cities in 1890 don't look like big cities do now. Like there were sort of farms or apiaries or whatever in the middle of the city. Right. But I always like what's funny. Okay. I mean, we should say, I mean, if you listen to the cold open, then you probably mm-hmm. know this, but we are in fact doing Candyman tonight. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Um, yeah, that's, yep, yep. We should address that. Candyman's happening. Candyman is Candyman's happening. here. Well, he's um, definitely here because we said his name five times. So he's like in the room right now with us. Yep. But he's not going to, he's not going to kill us because we're cool. Yeah, exactly. He's like, well, we're friends. Yeah, we're we're on a, hang out. you know. It's gonna be great. We're on a first name basis, you know. First name basis. <laughs> they actually never say his name in the first movie. They don't. They don't. They don't. They give him a name in subsequent movies, but they never. They never. I think his name is like Daniel Robespierre or something. That's not right. But um, it starts with an R. But not in not in this movie. Never say his name. Don't say his name. As they wouldn't, right? Like as like. The whole thing about an urban legend is that it's it's foggy, right? Right. It's just it's just the guy. It's just a guy way back. Like the idea that he was a specific person with a specific history kind of flies in the face of like the urban legend part of it. Right. No. Absolutely. So before we say anything else, I feel like we need to talk about the number one most important thing I learned about this during about this movie during my research. Please do. And that is the fact that the original choice for Candyman was Eddie Murphy. <laughs> Did you read this? <laughs> I I missed this. Okay. Um, so apparently... I did not see this. Before Tony Todd was cast, the thought was that Candyman might be played by Eddie fucking Murphy. <laughs> you know? And this might be... Honestly, might be my favorite lost casting of all time because I sat there for a good 35 minutes today trying to imagine <laughs> the tone, the visual, like the scene in the parking garage where like Candyman like shows himself for the first time with Eddie mm-hmm. Murphy and I legitimately could not do it. I'm like there's this movie would not like thank God for no. Tony Todd. Thank God for Tony Todd. <laughs> Yeah. Because, like... Like, I... No. No. 
No. I feel like this is a somewhat cynical assessment of the of the situation. Right. However, I feel like the idea that one might cast Eddie Murphy as Candyman is some studio exec somewhere being able to name exactly one black man. Yeah, you know what? I'm gonna be. I'm gonna say that I'm on board with that. That right? that sounds accurate. Like you know, like it's 1992. They need a black guy. It's like, oh, Eddie Murphy, clearly. And like, no, <laughs> no, sir. No. Thank God for and- Tony Todd. But like, again, I just want you to try to imagine the scene in the parking garage with Eddie yeah, Murphy's I, voice. <laughs> I yeah, I just because it just would see not it. land the same way. No, no. it's. Like Tony Todd has such a like a a very baritone like he has a he just has a very deep kind of brooding voice like he right I mean he, yes it's Tony Todd I mean Tony Todd is an incredible actor and yes it's, yeah he absolutely is so much of Candyman is the voice yeah like we don't actually see him that much no but we hear him talking a lot mm-hmm. and. His his sort of smooth, deep voice is pivotal to the construction of Candyman as a character. Yeah. No. I, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. There. Uh, I could see there are a few other actors that I could potentially see doing it, but Tony Todd really killed the game I mean, when it came to Candyman. Mm-hmm. Um, and no, no, not Eddie Murphy. Mm-hmm. No, he's not the one. So another uh, fun fact had, okay, so I feel like I'm kind of jumping the gun here, but it's fine. This film was directed by Bernard Rose, mm-hmm. right? This is another one of those movies, and I feel like they keep cropping up in this genre where, like, they're associated with somebody who did not necessarily, like, work on the film. Because for me, I feel like Candyman is so heavily associated with Clive Barker. Yes. Yeah. Because it is based Mm -hmm. very loosely on Mm -hmm. a short story that Barker wrote called The Forbidden. Right. Which was set in Liverpool, where Mm -hmm. both... uh, Well, is Rose from Liverpool? No, I think he's... But he's English. Um, But Barker's from Liverpool, and it's, it's much more focused on class rather than race and the entire backstory of Candyman with like the forbidden love story and everything like that despite the fact that it's called the the forbidden is not present so just the concept of the Candyman Barker came up with and then he and Rose and they were friends right he and Mm -hmm. Rose sort of extrapolated this sort of Americanized racialized version of it Right. From that story. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was, he definitely does have like a solid writing credit. Like he was in there. Um, but originally Helen was going to be played by uh, Bernard Rose's wife. And Virginia Madsen was going to play Bernie, the friend. Oh, okay. Right. And then... Uh, I think Bernard Rose's wife got pregnant, I think. So she couldn't do the movie. Oh, yeah. No, she couldn't. And uh, so, and they had decided, they had decided that Bernie should be African-American. 
Um, which is great. However, no one ever acknowledges that that character is African-American. And we can talk about that later. But like the fact that like once I learned that that role was originally written as a white woman, it made a lot more sense because like she's walking around the project and projects and everyone's talking about like the white people as if there's not a black woman standing there. <laughs> Did you notice this? Like it drives me crazy. Like I, yeah, it's like nope. they just did not rewrite the part at all. Like, they mm-hmm. did not change a single word, which is hilarious. No. Um, but Virginia Madsen was originally going to play Bernie. And then they were like, no, we think Bernie should be an African-American woman. So she lost that role. But then Rose's wife got pregnant, so now they needed a Helen. So they, they cast Virginia Madsen. However, had Virginia Madsen not been available to play Helen, they were thinking Sandy Bullock. Which makes a little more sense than Eddie Murphy as Candyman, but not much. Like, again, 35 minutes trying to picture this film with Sandra Bullock and Eddie Murphy as the lead roles. It, it, okay, see, like, where, where Eddie Murphy does, like, would make more sense now, I think Sandra Bullock would make more sense back then. Right. I mean, I agree, because she was... There were a quite a few like thrillers that Sandra Bullock starred in mm-hmm. in like the early nineties. But also, but I I don't I don't think that mm. I think I think who was in it was the right choice because like you know Madsen did a phenomenal job as well. So I think that's one of my favorite aspects about doing this research about these movies. To be honest with you, is to like finding out who they wanted instead of who they got. Yeah. Yeah. Who they originally wanted in the film. That's so, huh? Once they decided that Bernie should be an African-American woman, they cast Casey Lemons. Mm -hmm. Our good friend, right? Playing virtually the same role as she did in Silence of the Lambs. (laughs) Yep. Where she was like the very smart friend Of a very smart white woman who kept doing incredibly stupid things Mm -hmm. and just getting herself into all kinds of danger. And she was just kind of over here like, maybe we shouldn't do that. At least Casey Lemons was a little bit more prominent in this movie. She was. I mean, yeah, her her part in Silence is pretty small. Yeah, she she definitely has more of a bit part. Although she survived Silence of the Lambs, so. That's true. I mean, you know, which one is better? (laughs) Right. But yes, we will talk about that. We will talk about all those, you know, really very stupid things that that, uh, this white woman does. (laughs) But first, it is Shark Tale Hour. Tonight's Shark Tale is called The Bee's Scream. Ah. It's like the tiniest scream. Unless there are thousands of them, then it's probably pretty loud. Um, The Bee Scream is uh, a whiskey-based drink, but it does require some cooking. So bear with me. You're going to take a cup of honey, because of course. 
mm-hmm. you're going to take uh, a cup of water because this is what we're making. We're making essentially a flavored simple syrup, right? Mm-hmm. Um, cut up some fresh strawberries. Don't really have an exact measurement on that, just as many as you'd like. I kind of had a, a good handful, right, that I, I stuck in the pot with the honey and the water. Mm-hmm. Just make sure that your honey and water are on equal amounts. That's the most important part. Like, whether you want to make a cup of simple syrup or a half a cup of simple syrup, your sugar, or honey in this case, and your water have to be in equal amounts. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a few uh, basil leaves as well. Go ahead and throw those in there too. Let that Bring that to a simmer and let it simmer for about 20 minutes. Pull it off the heat, uh, strain it, and let it cool down. Then you're going to add an uh, ounce and a half of that simple syrup, that flavored simple syrup, into a cocktail shaker with a tablespoon of lemon juice and an ounce of bourbon. Shake it up. Uh, I personally uh, put it into a a glass that had been dipped in honey, right? So you sort of rim the glass with honey. And then I dipped it into uh, a mixture of salt and lime zest. And it was delicious. It sounds so good. And I really cannot wait to make one and drink it. Mm -hmm. Like... Oh my God. Right. We are, we are once again, I can bring you the syrup on Sunday. Yes, please. Cause I have, I mean, <laughs> I have all the stuff to make it still, obviously. Right. I have a whole thing of strawberries. So, um, yeah, so we can make them on Sunday. Sweet. And it's red and we love it. We love a red drink here at Friday we Night Frights. We love a good bloody drink a good bloody drink yeah mm-hmm. uh, originally so and here's the thing what's great about this recipe also is that it's actually really versatile right like if you don't like bourbon what's wrong with you no i'm kidding if you don't like bourbon that's fine uh maybe you like gin better or even just vodka right that syrup would be <laughs> amazing with either one of those yeah yeah no that would definitely be really amazing with either one maybe maybe you're allergic to strawberries Go ahead and swap them out for blueberries. It'll still be great. Yeah. Like this is, this is like a, a, a nice flavored simple syrup with a liquor mm-hmm. is like, can't go wrong. Especially in the summer. Because it you is... don't want to do berries? Do peaches. Sure. Why not? You're welcome. Ooh, peach and basil. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Mix up the herbs. Do mint. Originally, originally I was looking at this, I was telling Sean that originally I was looking at a, essentially a mint julep made with honey instead of, uh, instead of sugar. (laughs) It somehow morphed into this (laughs) because I can't do anything that's not complicated. Um, It's a talent. I mean, is it? (laughs) Is that what we're calling it? Yes. So of course the reason that we are doing Candyman tonight is that the new Candyman comes out in theaters today. Yeah, it does. We're very excited. Oh, we're going to go see so it. So excited to see it. And we're going to review yes. it. Um, I love the concept for this sequel. I I need to look more into the plot because I've not looked up the plot to it 
specifically. All that I really know is that it is a, like a direct sequel. But I, of what I've seen from the trailer, yeah, I, I, it's probably what you've seen. I mean, and, the trailer yeah. looks amazing. But I, I do the know for I what I know, and I don't know a ton about the plot either, except for it is on, uh, it is set in a um, building of condos. Mm-hmm. That was built over the former grounds of Cabrini Green. Yes, right? I did see that. So mm-hmm. the thing about Candyman is it's it's still very relevant, right? Yeah, Even the absolutely. original is still very relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But to update it with like the idea of gentrification. Right. Is like, but so like you can, you can get rid of the buildings because the buildings aren't there anymore. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's true. Cabrini Green is no more. Like, it's gone. The last building was demolished in 2011. Um, okay. Like, that you can get rid of the buildings, but you can't get rid of the trauma. Right. Right? Like, you can't get rid of the Candyman, which is, like, this sort of, like, you know, um, allegorical figure, like, for this sort of uh, heavily racialized violence that took place mm-hmm. on this land, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's going to be really good. And of course, like we talked about in the video, because we're making video now, videos now, and you should go watch them. Um, mm-hmm. YouTube, Friday Night Frights. Holla. <laughs> the inclusion of Jordan Peele is like... Oh, genius. Right. And yeah. and of course, Nia DaCosta too. I'm like, I'm, I'm confident that the people who are... I'm confident that the people in whose hands the story has fallen will do a good job with it. Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah. I Like, this movie's going to be really good. I'm sure. Like, the trailers look incredible. Mm-hmm. And did you hear about the website where you have, in order to, like, unlock the final trailer, you have to say Candyman five times into the website? What? Yes. No. Yes. I want to do it. I know. You go to the website, you say, like, you, you click on a button, so it, like, pulls up the, like, voice control module thing, and then you say Candyman mm-hmm. five times, and then it shows you the last trailer of the movie. Oh, Which is genius. It's genius. Um, yeah. Also, in addition, what we should address about the original Candyman mm-hmm. is that this story about systemic racism... And, you know, white terrorism and injustice to black people and cycles of poverty is 100% about a white woman. Yep. And that's an issue. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, I'm sitting here watching this movie and um, like, so I should say I've never, this is my first time actually watching the original Candyman. Mm-hmm. I have seen plenty of bits and pieces of this mm-hmm. movie um, because, uh, you know, early or no, late 90s, early 2000s, they were playing Candyman on UPN mm-hmm. in like in October, um, which is also the same time that I watched uh, one of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies on TV. Um, but it wasn't the third one, but the third one is the one you wanted to see. <laughs> The third one's the one I wanted to see. I'm pretty sure it was the second one and the fourth one. Right. And I'm like, stop it. The fourth Actually, one. No, I'm almost. I think it was the fourth one. The fourth one is like the worst one. Yep. Like I couldn't even tell you. Like, 
I am so into the Nightmare series that I'm talking about getting a Freddy Krueger fucking tattoo. Follow us on Instagram. And mm-hmm. I could not tell you what happens in the fourth movie. Nope. Mm-mm. Like I've got one, I've got two, I've got I've got three, I've got five, and six. And then which one's the one with the bus? Is it the fourth one? Maybe, because I don't remember a bus. So maybe yeah, it's, I, maybe it's the fourth I one. Distinctly, yeah, I distinctly remember like a short bus. Yeah, or maybe it was like a big van. I don't know. It was one of the two. I'm pretty sure it was a bus though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Something involving like the desert. I don't know. I might even be thinking about a different movie. It might be. No. It was just like Here that. We are. <laughs> it was just Delirium. like the. <laughs> no, what it was, it was just like the marathons of movies that were on UPN when we were kids, and like with the Dancing oh, Pumpkin yeah. Man, where it's just like it all became one movie. It yeah, they all tied in together. Although. I could make a very convincing argument that Freddy and Candyman are, are related concepts. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Because Candyman's whole shtick throughout the entire film is that he ceases to exist mm-hmm. if people don't believe in him. Right. And that's also throughout the Nightmare series uh, a theme that comes up again and again. That mm-hmm. people have to know about Freddy. They have to be afraid of freddy they have to be dreaming about freddy otherwise he ceases to exist yep right i mean this is basically the entire foundation of the plot to freddy versus jason mm-hmm. yeah right. yep um so i i would argue that and also they're both ghosts who can kill you which is rare <laughs> i'm not kidding <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I guess, like, there are ghosts that can, like, hurt you in a way, but usually they are not able to kill you. Usually, in a ghost story, the terror is psychological. Yeah. Right? Like, generally, no one gets gutted in a ghost yeah. story. Not usually. You might get scratched. Something might fly into you and you fall down a set of stairs and you die that way. Mm-hmm. But a ghost that can manifest itself in in a corporeal enough form Mm -hmm. to actually inflict bodily harm to you is a relatively rare thing. And Freddy and Candyman are are two that can do it. Because they're really pissed off. Yeah, they are. And they do it well. Mm -hmm. Um. But yes, so yes, this this movie, because it was made in 1992, even though it is almost entirely about race, centers almost entirely on a white woman. Yeah. Yeah, the whole time cool. watching it, I'm like, why? Why, why? has she got to be white? Why? Why is she so... She's not just white, I... she's blonde. <laughs> she's yeah, like she's blonde. like, she she's is like ultra pale. white. <laughs> she's white, she's blonde, and she's wealthy. Mm-hmm. Someone, somewhat inexplicably wealthy. Yes. Because, like, her husband's a college professor and she's a graduate student. And as I can tell you, as someone who's, like, lived in academia, these are not people who are wealthy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Unless they were wealthy to begin with. Unless they have generational wealth. Yeah. Which they might. Yeah. Which they might. But, mm-hmm. um... But yes. She is the she is the stereotypical rich white woman. Mm-hmm. I I will say that I do appreciate the fact that she like 
she herself is not racist? I think she's trying not to be for sure. Like she, she, she understands. Um, you know, she does for, for the short amount of time that she is interacting with the people in the project before the shit hits the fan. Mm-hmm. She generally is, is treating them, you know, with some respect. Although on the other hand, she's also treating them kind of like subjects. Uh, yeah, that's, that is true. Which if you know, you know, if, if you know any sort of this um, history of the study of like anthropology, right? Like the, mm-hmm. the idea of this white person going into um, a, a black space and studying it is actually like, yeah, it's actually You're pretty right. fraught. Right. Yeah. Um, but yes, her name is Helen Lyle. Uh, she is played by Virginia Madsen, not Sandra Bullock. And she is, <laughs> <laughs> she, uh, is a grad student at Illinois at Chicago. University of Illinois at Chicago. Mm-hmm. And she's married to a professor there. And she and her best friend, Bernadette, who is played by a friend of the podcast, Casey Lemons. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She has no idea who we are. Um, (laughs) I don't know. I just love her. Like, there's just something about her. It's just like, she's always... Anyway. Um, She's a friend. She's a friend. She is a friend. She's a friend. That's who she she is in the movie. She's the friend. Um, In both movies. And what's funny is that I actually... What's funny is I I did sit there for about 10 minutes saying... God, that looks like Casey Lemons. <laughs> Before I finally <laughs> like, looked, like looked it up and I was like, oh, that's because it is. Like this is in fact Casey Lemons. It is in fact the same woman who is in Silence of the Lambs. And that's why yep. it looks like yep. her. And that's why it sounds yep. like her. And that's why she has the same mannerisms and everything. Because it is in fact the same woman playing a very similar character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are doing their uh doctoral thesis they're kind of collaborating i guess yeah that's that's kind of what it sounds like is that they're both doing the same thesis right and so i mean it's it's a little weird but but they're they're collaborating on this project um about urban legends and it starts out that this is a very broad like just broadly about urban legends in general right but it very quickly begins to narrow down into the legend of Candyman, mm-hmm. which is local, right? Yeah. Which which makes mm-hmm. it more interesting. Um, although the first girl who tells Helen about the Candyman talks about him being in Indiana. Yeah. She like says the town which, and right. it's Indiana, not Illinois. But I mean, it, yeah, which that's interesting. But I right. mean, I guess he could travel. Ostensibly, he could come through anywhere there's a mirror and you say his name. Right. Right. That is getting the main brunt of it in Chicago because that's where he is from and that's where everyone knows from. him the most, right? Well, and 
you know, his, mm-hmm. his remains are scattered on Cabrini Green. Um, oh, right. But actually in subsequent movies, like in the second one, is, the second one is um, set in New Orleans, I think. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, huh. just com- it completely changes settings. They're like, we're going here now. Yeah. But her husband, uh, Trevor, is uh, played by Xander Berkeley and looks like mm-hmm. every other white man in every movie. Like, I sat mm-hmm. there and I looked through his IMDb because this motherfucker looked so familiar. And then I realized he just looked like five other white men that were like... Oh, yeah. I think the one he reminded me of the most was the guy who was in the original Wicker Man. Oh, God, it's been so long since I've seen the original one. But I knew it couldn't be him because that guy's like 20, 30 years older than this guy must have been. Right. Because right. Wicker yeah. Man came out in 1973 and this was 92. Like, he wouldn't be the same mm-hmm. age. So I was yeah. like, no, it can't be that. But like, I couldn't find anything where I would have seen him except for Candyman. <laughs> Right. So I was like, I think it's just, he just has one of those faces where he just looks like a, you know, generic dude. But, um, so he's a professor mm-hmm. of this kind of like urban studies, anthropology, you know, um, mixtape that is their specialty. Let me see. Does it actually say? Ah, so Wikipedia claims that she's actually a semi- semiotics graduate student, which seems dubious to me, but <laughs> sure. <laughs> so their, fo- their focus very quickly begins to narrow on to the legend of the Candyman, mm-hmm. which Barker made up. Oh, yeah. I think yep. my favorite thing about this movie is that Candyman has become an actual urban legend. Right. Like, yeah, people think that the urban legend came first and the movie's mm-hmm. based on the urban legend. And that is simply not true. It is not. Barker made the Candyman up like it. There's there's no basis in sort of like, you know, contemporary folklore for mm-hmm. this character. It is heavily based upon the Bloody Mary urban legend. Oh, very much so. There's also there's there's also an urban legend with a guy with a hook. Like in a the car door. Other... Oh yeah yeah yeah. Right? It's like a isn't it like a short story about like uh you they hear like scraping happening and mm-hmm. then they but they don't see anything and then they get to where they're going and there's like there's a hook in the door. Right. In some variations, I think in some variations the like it's a couple who's making out on like lover's lane yeah and like the boyfriend gets out to like investigate and never comes back and the girlfriend ends up eventually like driving away in terror and then when she gets out of the car there's a hook stuck in the door right right um but yes guys with hooks and and summoning people by saying their names Mm -hmm. um you know these these are fairly common threads through multiple Mm -hmm. urban legends so it's not like he came up with with the whole concept, but Candyman himself was not an urban legend before this movie came out. And now he is. Which is which is cool. Um 
But so first, a, a first a student tells them the classic story about a you know a guy Billy, right? Because <laughs> they're always named Billy, right. who was uh, you know brutally murdered by the Candyman. No, I'm sorry. The girl mm-hmm. was brutally murdered by the Candyman. Right. Mm-hmm. He ended up going crazy. Right. And but he escaped. Right. Right. Can we just really quickly mention, by the way, fun fact, uh-huh. that that is uh, Sam Raimi's brother? Yes. <laughs> I'm like, oh, hey. And also, another fun fact, Ted Raimi, the brother mm-hmm. who was in this film, mm-hmm. was babysat by none other than Bruce Campbell. Of course he was. Yeah, they were friends. I mean, this is... Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I love dead. this. I love everything about this. We should do Evil Dead. Oh, Yeah. Maybe we can do Evil Dead as one of the Halloween movies. I'm done. Because mm-hmm. um, it's... They're Detroit boys. Right. Well, I mean, they're at least Michigan boys. Um, <laughs> they're Michigan boys, yeah. They're what? Uh, Ann Arbor boys? I'm not Ipsy. sure, actually, where... I, where I don't from. know exactly where they're from, but the, the movie premiered at the Redford. Like, the actual premiere of the movie was at the Redford. Right. Um... But yeah. So first you have the student that tells the the sort of like very basic urban legend type story of like, I know a guy who knows a guy who knows the story, right? Mm-hmm. But then as she's listening to it, uh, listening to the recording back, one of the uh, janitorial staff walks in and is like, oh, the candy man. I know the candy man. Right. And she's like, hold on, my friend lives in Cabrini Green, and she knows, you know, the story of the Candyman. So she calls mm-hmm. she calls these people in. And so then, now, uh, Helen has her idea for, like, the actual focus of what her thesis is going to be. Yeah, she's definitely narrowed it down to the Candyman. Mm-hmm. Um, and specifically, finding the origin of the Candyman mm-hmm. uh, and finding what is actually causing the things that are blamed on the Candyman. And the number one thing that takes her to the Cabrini Green housing project, which was a real place, and they actually did yep. film there um, mm-hmm. for, I mean, just a few days, just sort of the exterior shots, really. Um, right. But it was a real place. Was the murder of a woman named Ruthie Jean. The murder of Ruthie Jean is actually based on a true story. Really? You know what? That makes sense, though. Mm -hmm. So, this is one of the most chilling stories I've ever heard. It's one Mm -hmm. of the most terrifying scenarios I can imagine. Oh, yeah. The murderer was, this is 100% true. The murderer mm-hmm. was hiding in the walls of uh, a, a different housing project. Hold on, let me see if I can find out what it was. The Abbott Homes housing project. Um, her real name was Ruthie Mae McCoy, mm-hmm. which is the last name. So McCoy, like in case you have any uh, doubt that, you know, in case you have any doubt that um, 
this murder is based on this person besides the name that their first their first names are both Ruthie like Anne Marie and Anthony's last name is McCoy <laughs> so like very clearly based on this woman um oh, but yeah Ruthie May was a was a uh, woman in her 50s living in this housing project in Chicago in 1987, uh, mm-hmm. a man, or a, actually I think it was two or three men, were hiding in the walls of this housing project and came through a hole behind the medicine cabinet in her bathroom. No. No. Nope. No, not, not okay. Not at all. I mean, you know, I mean, obviously murder is not okay in general, but like that is terrifying. The idea Mm -hmm. that all your doors and all your windows could be locked Mm -hmm. and someone comes through the fucking wall. Nope. Like not okay with it. Worse than any urban legend could ever be. And it's true. Yeah. Um, but Helen, Helen latches onto this murder and says like, well, this is clearly was a real murder committed by a real person. Right. And she realizes but that, wrong. coincidentally, mm-hmm. the building in which she lives, which is a high-end condo building, mm-hmm. is actually identical to Cabrini Green. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was zoned as, but this was uh, fixed up as condos mm-hmm. because it was in a better location. Yeah. And and this is interesting because there there is a lot I mean, obviously there's the most um obviously there's the most obvious example of the mirror, which is like the actual mirror in which into which you say his name five times. Right. But the the mirror images of the apartments that those in Cabrini green live Mm -hmm. right and the condo where helen and trevor live being Mm -hmm. mirror images of each other yes i loved that right i love that they did that but being experienced in radically different ways Mm -hmm. because and only because the inhabitants of this one were white and affluent and the inhabitants of this one were poor and black Yep. So I I read in uh, a blog post by the Haughty Culturalist. Like that's the name of the blog. There there wasn't like a byline of, of who exactly wrote this or like what their mm-hmm. name was. Um, but that the part of the terror for Helen and her ilk was looking was looking racism and poverty in the eye. And actually confronting it in a way that they'd never had to do before. Even though yeah. they lived right down... Even though they lived... What what did she say? Eight blocks? It's only eight blocks. Yeah, yeah. Eight blocks away. She she mm-hmm. lived eight blocks away in, a, in an identical building. Right. She still had never had to actually, like, reckon with um, the material conditions in which these people lived. And sort of, like, the... 
the role of, of racism in that. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, I thought that was really clever. Um, so she decides that she needs to go to Cabrini Green. I mean, absolutely. You got to go to the source. You got to go to the source. Um, Mm -hmm. Right, I mean, any any sort of, you know, good researcher is going to do so. Mm-hmm. Which Anne-Marie is very against. No, Anne-Marie is the girl that lives there. I mean, by that, I mean, Bernie, Bernie. is very against. Yes, Bernie <laughs> is very against. She does not want to go. They get to Cabrini Green... Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, they get, like, you know, mildly harassed by some, like, you know, teenagers out mm-hmm. in the courtyard, like, who have nothing better to do. And, like, they just kind of, like, you know, catcall them and, and uh, you know, try to figure out why they're there. But they're not entirely sure that they're not law enforcement. So they just kind of, like, hang back. Right. Yeah. And they don't actually try anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Helen and Bernie go up to Ruthie Jean's apartment. And they're able to do so because there is absolutely nothing that is stopping them. Like, mm-hmm. there's no security on this building. There's no, like, you know, there there's no crime scene. Obviously, the, the crime, the apartment hasn't been, like, re-rented Right. Or anything, right? Because it's just like this place is slowly like emptying out and becoming abandoned. Yeah. Like apartment by apartment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so they go into Ruthie Jean's apartment and they, they confirm that in fact it is identical in layout to Helen's. And they yes. find the hole in the mm-hmm. wall through which the murderer came. Mm-hmm. So they think, right? Right. Um, at which point, Helen literally goes through the mirror. Yep. Um, so she has crossed the line. She, she, is, she is Alice in Wonderland at this point. Mm-hmm. Through the looking glass into another realm. And that is the realm of the Candyman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe it is before this that she has said his name five times. Yes. Yeah, because it I is before they go to Green. Yeah, she said it in the mirror. Um, with Bernie. Right, but Bernie only said it four times. But, yeah. But yeah, she goes. She goes through that mirror into some of like the most gorgeous sets. Yeah, right. <laughs> that there like, have ever been. The, oh my <laughs> on god! A horror film. The, the artwork that is in mm-hmm. these like in these rooms that she's walking through. Mm -hmm. And of course, especially the iconic, like walking out of the mouth, walking out of Candyman's mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and she finds in that room, like after she goes out of Candyman's mouth, she finds candy. Yeah. With razor Mm -hmm. blades in it. With razor blades. Yeah. Which is another urban legend. Mm hmm. But also obviously a play on his name. And a, and a play on the line. So when they were in the hallway in graffiti and like this really, really cool graffiti, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, in the hallway, it says sweets for the sweet. Right. So sweets for the sweet is actually a Shakespearean line. Really? Yes. No, Sweets to the Sweet is actually uh, a line from Hamlet. Oh, okay. And it is referring specifically to the death of Ophelia, which is a fascinating parallel with Helen. Mm Mm-hmm. Because Ophelia is often portrayed as, as kind of clueless, almost. Mm-hmm. Um, but the sweets referred to in the line are actually like um, funerary flowers, not like candy. So like sweet smelling flowers. Right. Like sweet smelling flowers for the sweet. Right. Sweets for mm-hmm. the sweet. Um, but people have been arguing for 600 years over whether or not Ophelia committed suicide mm-hmm. in Hamlet. But... Or if she just, you know, went crazy and fell in the river. Right. But either way, Ophelia was a woman who was driven to madness. Mm-hmm. As was Helen Lyle. Yes. Right? So the... I like the sort of, like, very subtle... Um, I like the very subtle, like, parallel there. Mm-hmm. Because Ophelia is all, also sort of often portrayed as in like this sort of dreamlike state, right? Which also happens with this character because you're not actually quite sure if Candyman is real. Mm-hmm. Or if he's simply her hallucination. So she goes back into, back into the sort of, uh, you know, vacant apartment. Mm-hmm. And then another resident of Cabrini Green comes in to confront them. Yes. And that is Anne-Marie. Yep. And she's saying, you know, when white people show up here, they bring trouble. And what are you doing here? The police and the press and everyone has already been here. And Ruthie Jean was my friend. And, you know, this is this is disrespectful for her or disrespectful to her, rather. And then her baby starts crying. Mm-hmm. So they end up in Anne Marie's apartment where she introduces them to her, her infant son, Anthony. Mm. Who turns out to be very important. <laughs> e- Incredibly so. I mean, kind of a crucial plot point. Um, I mean... And this is actually talked about as a sort of Anne Marie is actually talked Anne Marie and Jake really are both talked about as sort of the the counter to the boys that are outside. Cuz the boys that are outside are very yeah. sort of like stereotypical, right? Mhm. You know, that those boys are exactly who they expected to encounter when they went to the projects. Right. They did not and- expect to encounter a young mother who Mm -hmm. works hard and just wants her baby to have a better life. Right. Even though that would be the majority of 
the type of person that would be living in that situation. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and that is something that the filmmakers explicitly tried to do was portray the people who lived in the projects as just people who were struggling to get by rather than criminals. You know, with, with varying success, but Anne Marie is definitely one of them. So, and, and so she shares some information about um, what she knows about the case and she tells them that she's scared Mm -hmm. because whoever, hurt Ruthie Jean could come back for her. Which is something we call foreshadowing. So. <laughs> is that what that is? Mm-hmm. Is that what we're witnessing? Mm-hmm. You are right. So then they're at dinner with a man who Helen seems to inexplicably hate. They never explain this. Yeah, no. They're just like, yep, we hate him. He's the worst. He's uh, like, he's just the, immediately as soon as he's on screen. And yes, he's clearly pompous, right? He's, he's clearly self-important. He's, he's clearly like, you know, a a plucked up peacock, right? Mm -hmm. Which is fine. But like there, there seems to be, I'm wondering if there's like some kind of, you know, deleted scene or something. Where right. there's like a, a more a more direct confrontation between those two because she really just seems to hate him. Yeah, for not just really on principle. Reason. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, but he is a prominent scholar in her field, mm-hmm. and he wrote a book about the Candyman. Right, which she didn't know. Which she didn't know. She really should have. <laughs> Yeah. Like, speaking as someone who has done academic research, why didn't you know that someone you knew wrote a book about it? Um, but of course, he wrote about the Candyman just as the legend, right? Right. And Bernie and Helen's project is to find the source. Mm-hmm. But what Mr. British Man... I think his name is Purcell. What Purcell does is he provides them with the actual backstory, the quote unquote true story of Candyman. Mm -hmm. Right. And that is that uh, he was the son of a slave Mm -hmm. who had obviously been freed after the Civil War. Um, And moved to Chicago and invented something. Mm-hmm. I think for, something for like the mass production of shoes or something, some kind of like industrial revolution type invention. Yeah. I'm forgetting what it was, but yeah, some sort of right. invention. I, it had something to do with mm-hmm. shoes that made him rich. And so mm-hmm. his son had grown up. His son who became the candy man had grown up in privilege Right? Mm-hmm. He was wealthy. He was well-educated. And he was a very talented artist. And he was commissioned by, you know, this sort of, this Chicago's elites to paint their portraits. Right? Mm-hmm. And uh, around 1890, probably slightly before, 
he was commissioned to paint the portrait for uh, the daughter, the quote-unquote virginal daughter, of a local landowner. Right. Um, her name is also not given in the original movie. I believe later she is uh, identified as Caroline Sullivan. The names are kind of retconned on. <laughs> Once they start making sequels, they're like, oh, we should go on. Um, we should explain a little bit more. Right. We should, we should dive into this. Um, they fall in love. She becomes pregnant. Mm-hmm. And so he is killed. By an angry mob. Well, not a mob. It, like the the slight the 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 slight nuance here, I suppose I should say, is that like he does specifically say that it was the girl's father who sicked these goons on him. Yes. It wasn't just like, like a general population, like a whole mob rose up. It was like no. people who were hired to hurt him. Mm-hmm. Um and then so they they uh, abducted him. Mm-hmm. They sawed off his right hand. Mm-hmm. And jammed in a hook. Which seems like an incredibly bad idea. I mean, you're just asking for a vengeful ghost at that point. Yeah, I <laughs> like, mean... You gave him a weapon. What's wrong with you? <laughs> a hook then, of all things. A hook Come of on. all things. Come on. Um, why is he, you're going to kill him. Why does he need a hook? Um... And then they, they dragged him to a nearby apiary, mm-hmm. which if you don't know what an apiary is, it's like where bees are kept, right? Like an right. aviary is for birds, an apiary is for bees. Uh, covered him in honey and allowed the bees to sting him to death. Mm-hmm. And there's really not, I mean, that is a very, very unpleasant way to go. Yeah, that just sounds awful, especially like if... You're not actually allergic to bees and you're right. just getting stung so many times that like you end up dying from it. Like, right. Well, I mean, that's, that's the thing. A. That is the thing. Like everyone's a tiny bit allergic to bees. Right. You know what I mean? Like eventually mm-hmm. if you got stung enough times, the venom would kill you. Yes. So the fact that he got stung enough times that he died is really very um, you know, very gruesome. Two things about that. Tony Todd came up with that backstory. Did he really? Yes. Um, when, when sort of the, the movie was in sort of the early stages of production, the Candyman mm-hmm. didn't really have a backstory, like an origin story. Right. It was just like, a guy, right? Just like Bloody Mary. Here. I mean, right. I mean, it's right. just like any urban legend. There's there's not usually a whole ton of detail involved. Right. Because if there were, it would be much harder to sort of pass it around. Right. It becomes like a game of telephone where, you know, right. things would get messed up. But I'm sorry. I think you were going to say something. No. Well, well, and you don't want to add too much detail because then it just, it could remove some of the, uh, some of the thrill, some of the intrigue, um, the mystery, right? Like part of part of the part of what makes those 
those these people these these things scary is that you don't know anything really about them right they're foggy Mm -hmm. they're in the shadows Right. right if you start to get bogged down in details then you know the the boogeyman might start to look too sympathetic right and you're like oh i can see why you're mad Mm-hmm. Secondly, however, speaking of I can see how you're mad, you can see how he's mad. But mm-hmm. one of the things I actually love about this movie, and it is controversial, is that despite the fact that Candyman's backstory is sympathetic, Candyman mm-hmm. as a character is not. No. Not At all. all. He is... He is vengeful, and he has every right to be. Yeah. But he also, um, he delights in it. Mm-hmm. Like, he is, he is a true villain in that he's not in any way, shape, or form claiming that he is being forced to do this. He's right, like, no. no. This is all my choice. Yeah. yeah, he's like, no, being a legend is great. It's much mm-hmm. better than being a person. Right. And like, I'm I'm the writing on the wall, which is like one of the best lines ever. <laughs> um, I just love that whole little, that whole little speech. I'm the writing on the wall. I'm the whisper in the classroom. Uh, I forget what he says after that, but it's great. And it's, it's especially great delivered in Tony Todd's voice. But. Right. Um, like generally ghosts with tragic backstories like the whole thing is that if you you know if you expose the injustice that led to their death then they can like move on to the next realm and they'll stop tormenting people that they were just trying to get help right not the case here like he is a true boogeyman and uh, I read somewhere, and I, I think that this was, you know, just on, just on Wikipedia. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But that, like, uh, the studio actually made Bernard Rose go and have a meeting with the NAACP to, like, clear, like, because they were, like, afraid that this would be controversial of having this, this black villain. Mm-hmm. And the NAACP was like, why can't he be black? <laughs> Right. Like, why can't we have a black Freddy Krueger? Why can't we have a black Frankenstein? Like, why can't there just be a black guy, like, a black ghost who's, like, just mean? Yeah, why wh- Why does he always gotta be white? <laughs> why does he always gotta be white? Um, but I personally love that. Like, I, mm-hmm. I love that, you know, and... It, People say that it cast doubt on whether or not Candy, uh, whether or not the the man who became Candyman was a good man. But the point is, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter what he was like when he was alive. Because what he is as a legend was created mm-hmm. by the legend, which is what he keeps saying. That he only exists be- because people know about him. And part of the reason that he's going through this whole part of the reason that he's going through this whole rigmarole with Helen is to expand his influence, sort of, that more people would believe in him. 
if this crazy thing happened with this grad student who like she became part of the legend that more mm-hmm. people would believe in him and, and he would have more power right and it would be more likely for him to be around, be able to be around forever right yes he wants mm-hmm. immortality mm-hmm. and the way to get that is to be an idea Now, that version of that man, the Candyman, was created Mm -hmm. by the legend. It might have absolutely no resemblance whatsoever to the man who was killed by the bees. I mean, in terms of, like, personality and heart and soul and morality and all of those things right like right they're two separate beings right that they could be completely that they are two completely separate entities mm-hmm. because the the specter is what you make it mm-hmm. and i i think that that's actually a pretty sophisticated comment on racism as well right that Take Cabrini Green, for example. Cabrini Green is itself a specter in this film and in the sort of larger cultural imagination, right? And, like, we had him in Detroit, too. You know? Yeah. Uh, We had housing projects in Detroit, obviously, and, like, that's where they found all the Motown kids. (laughs) They all lived there. All lived in the same building. It was amazing. Um, That's not true. Several of them did, though. And... (laughs) Every last one and every last nothing one. but saying. <laughs> I mean, it's not entirely wrong. But right. um you know, the idea of the the crime and the gang activity and the sort of um dereliction of the buildings and everything like that, like those are conditions that are created by systemic racism. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I could talk for an hour about redlining, (laughs) you know, and about the, you know, the, the freeways being put through black neighborhoods and, and, you know, stuff like that in the mid century and and the projects themselves being left Mm -hmm. to rot after they became. So when Cabrini Green opened, it was mandated that the residents would be 75% white and 25% black. Mm -hmm. And as those numbers started to shift, the the neglect of the property itself became more and more and more right um so those are conditions that are created by systemic racism and then they in turn fuel these racist stereotypes in this kind of like you know fucked up bootstrap paradox thing of like you know there there is no cause and effect they just like tumble over each other Mm -hmm. but like the root cause is is the racism, right? And I think that you could you could read Candyman as a character, as a reflection of that reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that Tony Todd, and in both coming up with that backstory and in the way that he portrayed Candyman, had a lot to do with that, because I think it was very important to him that Candyman be educated and erudite. Right? That he was well-spoken. That he was well-educated. 
that he was, you know, an artist, that he was, he had this talent and that he was in privilege because at the end of the day, it didn't matter how privileged he was. He still wasn't allowed to love a white woman without being the victim of this, this unspeakable violence. And it didn't matter that like his family had, had sort of risen or that they sort of, you know, rubbed elbows with these other wealthy families, most of whom would have mm -hmm. been white, right? Like at the end of the day, when it came right down to it, none of that mattered. He still got killed. So after that handy bit of plot exhibition by the, um, you know, professor that Helen hates. And since she's not, doesn't seem particularly interested in doing any actual research not an <laughs> about this story whatsoever. No. <laughs> but now she knows. Now she knows where the Candyman came from. And so she mm -hmm. goes back to Cabrini Green um, because she wants photos of that mural. Oh, yeah. Right. And the first time her mm -hmm. camera had run out of film. So she goes back. And that's when she meets Jake, mm -hmm. who's a little boy who lives there. And he has more stories about Candyman. And uh, what I love about this is that Anne Marie had a story about a woman. And Jake had a story about a little boy. <laughs> so if you're talking about an urban legend as a, as a you know, as a sort of um, sublimated fear, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, Jake is going to be drawn to the story about someone that looks like him. Right. Right. In the same mm -hmm. way that Anne-Marie... I mean, ostensibly Anne-Marie actually knew Ruthie Jean. Right. True. True. True, true, true. But the story that the, that the children tell each other mm -hmm. on the playground is about a child who got killed on that playground. Yep. Which is how urban legends work. Right. It always mm -hmm. happened where you are. <laughs> right. Happened oh, right yeah. here. Yeah, that's exact. That's exactly how they work. <laughs> right. It happened right here to someone who looked just like you. Yep. Um, uh, but yes, so this this was a story about a young boy. Um, who was. Uh, emasculated and murdered in the yeah, bathroom. Yeah, like, yeah, that, his murder was, like, on another level, another level of, um, int for lack of a better term, intense, at least right now. Um, just, I think the biggest part of that is because he's a child. Right. I mean, obviously the fact that he's a child and, and the fact that he's, de he's described as like a, I mean, I won't use the word that Jake uses. <laughs> uh, the fact that he's not just a child, but he's described as a special needs child. Right. Right. Which like actually kind of steps up his innocence, mm -hmm. like a level. Oh, right? tenfold. That he wouldn't know how to defend himself. Right. Um, and yes, the, the idea like of what happened to him is, is very, very gruesome. Mm -hmm. 
It also happened a lot during lynchings. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's a very um, it's a very loaded um, it's a very loaded kind of image, mm-hmm. right? Obviously, it would be anyway. But especially when you're talking about um, you know stuff like that, it is. They chose that. They chose that. Me- they chose that cause of death for a reason. Mm-hmm. I guess. Um, so of course, what's our friend Helen do? But march directly into that bathroom. Yeah, straight in. Like so, it's fine. <laughs> I will say this. Um, her traipsing around alone, looking very much like a rich white woman. Mm-hmm. In one of the worst neighborhoods in Chicago at the time. Was not smart. No. However, um, I think part of the reason that this movie resonates with me is that I would absolutely do the same thing. <laughs> like, I would be fascinated by this idea, right? Like, this sort of, you know, like, local legend and folklore and, like, I am so into that shit. I'm so into that shit. And, like, I, I legitimately considered pursuing that as, like, an academic in, in an academic setting. <laughs> so I think that's part of the reason I love this movie so much is because it's like, you know, talk about seeing yourself reflected and like the fear of seeing yourself reflected. It's like, I am this fucking woman. So. <laughs> and she ended up almost dying. In yes, at that point. I mean, she, mm-hmm. well, yeah, I mean, at this point in the movie, she ends up almost dying. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's attacked by mm-hmm. uh, some of the boys. Not even boys, young men. Mm-hmm. Right? They're older. Yeah, yeah, like, they were probably older. in like their like early twenties ish. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of them is dressed up like Candyman. Right. And he's holding and claims to be Candyman. Claims to be Candyman. Um, oh, but first she sees a whole shit ton of bees in the toilet. Yeah. What? So she's starting, she's starting to have, I mean, depending on your interpretation of the film, either visions or hallucinations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and one of them is she opens one of the toilets and there's just a shit ton of bees inside. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, and then these guys, one of whom is dressed up as Candyman and claiming to be Candyman shows up and they beat her up. Yep. And they smash her camera. Mm-hmm. And she goes to the police and they find the guy and they arrest him and they just sort of um, decide on the spot that he must be responsible for the other murders. Right. That he is responsible for the murder of the little boy and of Ruthie Jean. Mm-hmm. Because Without clearly... any sort of... Yeah. No yeah, investigation. Because he was there. Because and... he was there and he, he attacked this lady so he must have killed the others. Sure. Right. Um, you know, at, at, which is like what, what prompts her in her like conversation with Bernie to be like, you know, these two people died and they did nothing. And then right. a white woman gets attacked and they lock down the entire place and they find him in 20 minutes. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is true. Um, but of course it wasn't him. <laughs> no. Because no. Candyman is real. Um, cause mm-hmm. you know, it's a horror movie. Um, so she's, you know, released from the hospital and she's actually in 
great spirits because like her research is going great. Right. Like she has, she has found the answer she was looking for. Uh, at which point the real Candyman shows up to rain on her parade <laughs> in a pretty major way. And I just absolutely love the way they actually introduce Candyman mm-hmm. because it's so low key. Like he's just standing there. Yeah. He doesn't attack her. Mm-mm. He doesn't. You know, he's not doing anything scary. He doesn't look scary. No, he just looks like a man in the coat. Yeah, he just like, he just looks like a, a well-dressed, tall dude. Mm-hmm. He's very tall. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, everyone's tall to me, but he's very tall. Um, <laughs> I met him once. I met Tony Todd once. I should, I, uh, should post a picture of the... Uh, do I have a picture with him? I think I only have the actual autograph that he signed for me but um we talked about hitchcock it was great uh but i make that sound i met him at a convention like let me be clear (laughs) i make that sound like we hung out like i met him at a convention and i paid him for that autograph like it wasn't we're not like buddies I don't know what you're talking about. You met him in the street. You hung out with him. <laughs> right. We went for coffee. You had a good time. You had some beer. Like you And then have, he signed yeah. an autograph. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Right. No, 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 no. Absolutely. I mean, I would love it if that happened because Tony Todd is awesome. Right. And this was, this was absolutely the scene that I was trying to picture with Eddie Murphy and it just wasn't working. Yeah. No, no. It just doesn't work. Like it does this not scene make... specifically. Like. No. It just wouldn't work. Um mm-hmm. And, and here's why, like beyond, like, let's forget it was Eddie Murphy. Like if it was anyone else, right. The part of the reason that I think this film sort of retains its popularity, despite the fact that like, Mm -hmm. yes, the story is, is still very relevant, unfortunately. Um, Right. But the fact that the character has entered so, has sort of penetrated so deeply into the, like, cultural imagination mm-hmm. is the way that Tony Todd portrayed him. Yeah. Like, it's not just the voice, it's the attitude. Because you could argue that, well, you don't have to argue this, he said it himself, like, Tony Todd was playing Candyman as the Phantom of the Opera. Right. Um, and mm-hmm. then I, I would actually add Dracula to that as well. Yeah. Like Candyman actually yeah. in, in practice, like in terms of horror movie tropes, uh, is less a ghost and more a vampire. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Because he's kind of sexy. Yeah. Like... It is a seduction. Mm-hmm. And at, oh, yeah. he, at time... He is... Ab- oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say he's absolutely seducing her. Yes. He's absolutely seducing Helen. Um, in many ways, Candyman acts more like a vampire than a ghost, right? Yeah. In, in how corporeal he is, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you can touch him and he can touch you and he can gut you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. In his sort of, you know, attitude and and the sort of seduction factor. Mm -hmm. 
and in the fact that, at least in her case, he's asking for permission. Yeah. Right? Because he doesn't just want to kill her. He wants to make her like him. Right. Exactly. So that they can live together in immortality. Mm -hmm. Which is generally a vampire trope. Not a ghost trope. Right? No. Um, Ghosts don't usually want to be ghosts. No, not usually. Sometimes they don't even know they're ghosts. Right. Looking at you, Bruce Willis. (laughs) You too, Nicole Kidman. Yep, 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 yep. That movie. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't we talk about... I feel like on one of the episodes I talked about how the others, like, traumatized me into thinking that every ghost movie, the, like, live people were the ghosts. (laughs) she's the ghost this <laughs> is all backwards they're the ghosts <laughs> they're all the ghosts they're all ghosts everyone's ghosts <laughs> aren't we all ghosts um eventually but yes uh so <laughs> Candyman this is the first actual like confrontation between Candyman and Helen and Helen goes into a kind of trance which apparently was not acting because according to everyone who worked on this movie, they actually brought in a hypnotist to hypnotize Virginia Madsen. Really? For her scenes with the Candyman. So that she would seem, you know, hypnotized. like she was in trance because right? she actually right. was. <laughs> Part of me is She's like, quite... would you be able to act if you were hypnotized? <laughs> Or was she just acting hypnotized? <laughs> I mean, maybe it was more of like a, like it got her into the, into the, the mindset. The zen. Of, yeah. I'm sure yeah. that's what it was. I'm sure that's what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just hilarious to me. <laughs> I don't know why. It's just like, you did what now? Um, <laughs> I mean. Uh, but it is at this point. she goes, So she's in this kind of trance and it is at this point that things begin to escalate very quickly. <laughs> Yep. Like, up until now, this has been a very cerebral film. <laughs> like, there's really been been no violence whatsoever. You don't even really... You don't really see them even beating up Helen. No. They, like... He raises... Because he's holding a hook, right? Because he's pretending to be Candyman. Mm-hmm. He raises the hook, and he goes to hit her with it, and then the screen goes black. Because your point of view is Helen's point of view. Right? Mm -hmm. So you don't see anything that she doesn't see. Right. Which is kind of brilliant from a narrative standpoint. Because Mm -hmm. it means you don't see anything. Yeah. And that just makes everything scarier. Right? Um, But yeah, so she blacks out. She wakes up on the floor of the bathroom of Anne Marie's apartment covered in blood. Covered. I'm like, damn, a lot of blood. where is all this blood coming from? Right. And then you find out. And then you find out. But like, also, did that much blood come from a dog? <laughs> yep. It was a lot of blood. A lot of blood. It was all over the apartment. Right. How did that happen? Um, but you don't, you don't know. Because she was blacked out. Right. And she is your sole point of view. So. Right. You don't see what she doesn't see. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like it's important to 
point out that she was nowhere near Cabrini Green when she blacked out. No, she was not. She was in the parking structure of the university. Yep. When she blacked out. And then she woke up in this woman's apartment in Cabrini Green. Mm -hmm. Anne-Marie is very understandably losing her shit. Yep. Because she has come home late at night Mm -hmm. to find uh, her dog beheaded. Mm -hmm. So like, yes, this, this is one that's on does the dog die.com and her infant son missing. Yep. But blood absolutely covering everything. Mm -hmm. And then, and then she finds, well, I mean, really like Helen comes out of the bathroom because she's like, what the fuck is going on? Right. And Anne-Marie attacks her because like. Mm-hmm. Reasonably. <laughs> absolutely reasonably. Like this, mm-hmm. this confluence of circumstances. And then there's like the one live adult that's in the apartment is this woman who was there because she was interested in the murders that had happened in this apartment building. <laughs> yep. Like, you don't, you don't, you don't really need, you don't really need a degree in mathematics to add those those things up, right? Which is what Candyman was counting on. So, mm-hmm. Anne Marie and Helen fight. Uh, Helen ends up um, cutting Anne Marie's arm to try to get her off of her. At which point, the uh, the cops show up, mm-hmm. and they arrest Helen, who of course maintains her innocence. They try to get her to tell her tell them where the baby is. She has no clue where the baby is. No idea. None whatsoever. Um, but she is released on bail, and mm-hmm. her husband takes her home. <laughs> Slight little subplot. Her husband wasn't at home when she first called him at three a.m. Nope, he was not. And really, the only the only reason that this subplot is is at all important is because of the last scene of the film. <laughs> yep. Um, but she she suspects that she has already been suspecting that he's having an affair. Mm-hmm. With a freshman. Like, yeah. let's be clear. When she walks into his classroom and is sort of uh, expressing her disappointment that he has given his urban legends lecture before she has finished her research project, therefore tainting the research subjects, which are the students, mm-hmm. right? This, is, of course, was before she started focus- focusing exclusively on, on Cabrini Green and Candyman. Um, they say explicitly that this is the freshman class. And if it's the freshman class, that means that that girl is 18 years old. Yep. 19 at the oldest. Mm-hmm. Gross. <laughs> yeah. And Gross. he's definitely in his... He's got to be, what, in his 40s? Maybe 30s? Maybe 30s. Maybe 30s. I, I have a hard time gauging how old she's supposed to be. Yeah, because... I, yeah, I can't really tell either. Right. Let's look up... Let's look up how old the actress was. Because, like, generally, PhD students aren't that old. No, they're not. She was born in 61. So she was... 31? 
I mean, that tracks. Mm-hmm. That tracks. That's yeah. that's about where I would put her, and that's a perfectly reasonable age for a PhD student to be. Um, yeah. But we also don't know. We don't know that they're the same age. Right. Because he could have found her when she was 18, too. Mm-hmm. Because one would assume that she had sat in that classroom at some point. Maybe not. Yes. But, like, she could have. Yeah, they never really dove into, like, how they met. Right. But... Like, they were just they were just already married. Right. Let's see. He was born... The actor was born in 55. So he was a... He's a few years older than she is. Yeah. Um... Yeah, six-year age difference. Mm-hmm. Which, like, you know. Meh. Which is nothing, unless one of them is 18. <laughs> yep. Then it's weird. However, the girl, uh, the extremely too young for him girl, mm-hmm. was absolutely perfect casting. Yeah, yes. It's crazy how much... Uh, she like those two look alike. Yeah, I I think that her name is Carolyn Lowry. Um, and she, she didn't you know she didn't do a ton a ton. I don't think she she sort of had smaller parts in in like a lot of things. Um, mm-hmm. but God, she looks like she looks like an eighteen year old virgin of version of Virginia Madsen. Yeah, like. He was literally just trading her in for the younger model mm-hmm. who was like still impressed by him. Right. Right. Um, but she does eventually, eventually her husband gets home. He gets the call. He goes, he bails her out of jail. Mm-hmm. Uh, they go home to strategize because she really does not have a good alibi. No. Like I saw a ghost and blacked out is not going to hold up in court. Nope, not at all. Um, and she was covered in blood. Yeah. And no one can find the baby. <laughs> so so her husband leaves at some point um, mm-hmm. after she's been brought home and sort of cleaned up. And, and you know, she's sort of trying to relax and, and sort of let her lawyer handle the issue and yada, yada, yada. Um, mm-hmm. He leaves to, quote unquote, go to work. <laughs> Right. God knows where he actually was going. But uh, as soon as he's gone, Candyman shows up again. And so, unfortunately, does Bernie. Yeah. Bernie shows up to bring her friend flowers. Um, Helen has been sort of like tussling with Candyman. He's cut her behind her ear, sort of like on the back of her neck. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's starting to black out again. And she's trying to get Bernadette to go. Right. And to leave. And to not come in. Mm-hmm. And this is actually interesting because really the only time in the movie that we see something that Bernie cannot see. No. Really the only time in the movie that we see something that Helen cannot see is when she's already passed out. And Bernie walks into the apartment. She turns around and she sees Candyman. Yep. Which is actually, I believe, the only other person who we see, even silently, acknowledge the presence of Candyman. Yeah. 
that is like that is the strongest piece of evidence that he's actually real and she's not hallucinating him and actually committing these murders herself mm-hmm. which is kind of you know an alternate interpretation of the film there is one other time that this happens okay. but it's way later in the film it will i'll bring it up when we get there. okay all right all right yeah but it's only one okay but this this one is very clear like bernie turns around and she's staring mm-hmm. at Candyman. Yes. And well, and that's a that's the thing. These two different situations are very different mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for when he's seen, beside like from someone that's not Helen. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Um. So she blacks out. Mm-hmm. Bernie is brutally murdered. Yep. Trevor comes home, and like again, and we say this a lot. This is a, this is a case of like this guy's an asshole and a creep probably doesn't deserve what he gets. <laughs> but like I mean deserves it a little bit more than anyone else who gets it gets in the film does but but still but probably doesn't deserve what he gets. Um no. like a little extreme. But um so now she's not, now she's like actually arrested and institutionalized because now they think she's committed a second murder. Right. Um, they take her to a psych ward. They strap her down. Candyman shows up and sort of torments her. But he's not killing her. He's killing everyone no. around her. Yes. Because he wants, he wants her. Mm-hmm. And he needs her to agree for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, again, that whole it's it's a much more like it's a much more like vampire type story uh, than your sort of traditional ghost story. Um, mm-hmm. Suddenly, time jumps forward for a month. Yeah, because they have just kept her drugged for a month. They're like, oh, you were you were on lots of Thorazine, and she was like, what now? Um, <laughs> it's what what day is it? What day is it? It's been a month. And they show her, like, there's there, and she's you know she's taken to a psychiatrist, uh, mm-hmm. who's actually working for her defense. Right. And like his his plan is that she should plead insanity, because she's hallucinating mm-hmm. this killer, and. Mm-hmm committing these murders herself and he shows her the security camera footage footage from the night that she was admitted right and Candyman, of course does not show up on that footage no because like he's a ghost of course he doesn't um but right so he's like you know you're imagining him mm-hmm. you did this but like we can we can get you the help that you need because you're clearly you know sick and mm-hmm. uh, at which point, this is where the tables kind of start to turn a little bit. Yep. Mm-hmm. Because at this point, Helen essentially calls Candyman. Oh, yeah. She's straight up fucking calls Candyman. Like, she's like, get him the fuck over here. I want out. Yeah. She's like, you know. She's like, you know, tells sort of tells him that he that she needs help, and the way that he helps is he shows up and and guts the doctor. Yep. 
which is the only time that we as the audience see Candyman kill someone. Mm-hmm. Right. So again, like adding to the evidence that we as the audience have that he is right. real and she's not imagining it. Right. Um, and then he like flies backwards out the window and like conveniently breaks it so that she can get out. Right. <laughs> like he can just magically transport her all the time. Like he does it more than once. But this time he's just like, climb out the window, bitch. Like. <laughs> well, and it was fun. Like, and I think that was purposeful. Be Like the way that they, that he went about it. Like he broke the window. He pulled her cuffs apart. Like. That's true. That's true. Like it, he, how he released her made it look like she escaped. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Rather than her just disappearing from the room. Right. Um. But yeah, she manages to escape. She goes home mm-hmm. and finds, you know, the 18-year-old version of herself painting the entire place pink. This might be my favorite scene in the movie. Like, <laughs> when oh she, my God. When, when she, she walks, walks in, in, she walks in and the whole place is like salmon. <laughs> I am like, ma'am, why in the fuck? What kind of choice? No. No. And like, sir, why are you letting this child do this to your apartment? Yes. Like, I'm sorry. She is a, she is, there's no way she's that good in bed. No. She's 18. What does Uh she know? (laughs) Come on. Right. (laughs) Nope. 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 And like Helen even says though, she's like, I really hate the color scheme. Right. <laughs> I think that was my favorite line. That's the best line. I love that line. Yeah. Um, so she she realizes that she's been replaced. Mm-hmm. Quite literally. And her marriage was the only thing she was hanging on to. Mm-hmm. She'd lost her career. She'd lost her research, obviously. She'd lost her best friend. Mm-hmm. And now she'd lost her marriage. So now she is starting to contemplate accepting Candyman's offer. Mm-hmm. His offer being that he will return the boy unharmed, the baby. Mm-hmm. If she gives herself to him. So he's, bas- he's basically like holding the baby as ransom. Yeah, like, he's like tradesies. Right. <laughs> <laughs> one you for one baby. <laughs> I'm sorry. Isn't this the plot of Labyrinth? Um, <laughs> right. Right. Just a, just a different, just a different, like weirdly sexual man who's, holding a baby hostage and demanding yeah. that a woman um so she goes to find him uh and this is probably the best known sequence in the film because this is the b scene yeah and the b scene is absolutely insane the fact mm-hmm. that they did this is absolutely insane um and like just like at face value, it's absolutely insane. It's especially insane because Virginia fucking Madsen is allergic to bees. 
I knew, you know what? I knew one of them was allergic to bees, but I couldn't remember who, which one it was. Right. So it was, it was, it was Virginia Madsen. And so what they did is if you notice the bees in that scene, like, especially the bees that are on her look really, really small because they're literally babies. They are baby bees, which is like the cutest Mm. fucking thing I can think of a baby fucking bee, but they, they don't like, they don't have their stingers yet. Okay. That makes sense. So those are the ones that they like put on her. Right. The ones that they put on Tony Todd, however, <laughs> did actually have their stingers and everything. They did have their stingers, and he negotiated this. Okay, so this this is this is tied for my favorite fact about this movie with the fact that Eddie Murphy was almost Candyman. Right. Tony Todd negotiated that he would get a thousand dollar bonus every time he got stung by a bee. <laughs> he got stung twenty three <laughs> times. <laughs> Hey, the man made 23000 extra dollars because he kept getting stung by these fucking bees. Well, he had him in his fucking mouth. They put him in his mouth, yeah. Although I, I think it was like the... um, I think they put the babies in his mouth. That would make sense. Um, And he I had like... So. He had kind of like a mouth guard. Yeah. In there. But, I mean, so he didn't like straight up swallow the bees. But... um. Yeah, it took it took over half an hour to like put all of those bees on him. Good lord. The like the like bee handler for this movie because mm-hmm. how many of them can there be in Hollywood, right? Uh was right. the same guy who handled the bees in My Girl. <laughs> and fried green tomatoes. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, they're all movies. Yeah. They're all, I mean, they're all movies and like have, have plot points that heavily involve bees. Right. <laughs> you can't see without the glasses. Sorry. Um, I was obsessed with that movie as a kid. My Girl. Have you ever seen My Girl? <laughs> I know it. It's neither here nor there. I'm, 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 I'll cut this out. My Girl is irrelevant to this conversation. Um, but yeah, but there is, there is a major plot point that involves someone who is allergic to bees. Right. And so they needed a ton of bees. And the guy who handled the bees in that movie also handled the bees in this movie. Because, again, how many bee handlers can there be in Hollywood? I, right. Um, but it is also, like, this film had a relatively small budget. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it was, like, I think between 8 to 10 million, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And, like, mm-hmm. they made, they made mm, 25, I think. Yeah, it's like decent, you know, yeah. um, but so they ha- kind of had to do everything on the cheap, um, mm-hmm. which also meant, of course, that like they used only practical effects. Right. Which is right, the best. Which is better anyway. But <laughs> right. if you listen to this podcast, you know how we feel about practical effects. But mm-hmm. but it's true. And like the the one like they they, you know, um well, and you know, I also think that it made it better because like, yes, there is a ton of gore in this movie. Yeah. There's a ton of gore. But you see the gore after the fact. Yes. You see the body, you don't see the murder. With the exception mm-hmm. of the psychiatrist, right? And Right. You know, and Matson, but we'll get to that. Uh, right. But, you know, so so 
those I think are actually like really effective sequences mm-hmm. and probably was were like sort of precipitated by the fact that they they couldn't you know I mean as as we've learned talking about the Friday the 13th movies filming the actual murder is the hardest part yes it's easy to make a bloody dummy yeah. like and just lay it on the floor right but actually making it the murder come to life yeah is <laughs> you know i know i i'm i'm picking up what you're laying down um mm-hmm. but yeah so the bees are real every single bee in that movie is real not all of them have stingers mainly the ones on virginia madsen because this woman agreed to do a film in which an entire scene she would be covered in bees despite the fact that she's allergic to bees i mean that's badass or dumb yeah or both <laughs> can't decide i'm gonna i'm gonna go with both it's both i'm gonna go with both it's both yeah <laughs> yeah but she's a good actor she's a really good actress she's great at- oh yeah i mean she did a phenomenal job like yeah. you know um So Helen escapes Mm -hmm. from that encounter. Uh, But as she's trying to escape, she hears the baby crying. Right. The baby who doesn't seem to have gotten any bigger in the previous month, but that's neither here nor there. Um, (laughs) The baby kind of looks the same, despite the fact that at this point it's been like, Six weeks? That's <laughs> what I want to say. It's fine. <laughs> Babies grow faster than that, but neither here nor there. It's about a ghost. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. don't, don't try to logic it out. Don't care about physics. Um, <laughs> she hears the baby crying. Earlier in the film, um, Jake had taken her by this giant pile of junk. Mm-hmm. in the sort of like abandoned lot next to the projects that they were going to light up as a as a big bonfire for a party. Right. He just says for the party. He doesn't say what the party's mm-hmm. for. Um, yeah. But for a party. Uh, and the reason that Candyman is tied specifically to Cabrini Green is after he was murdered in such a gruesome fashion, he was cremated on a giant pyre, right? Mm-hmm. And his ashes were spread on Cabrini Green. Now, I looked this up because I was like, there's no way Cabrini Green opened before like the Great Depression. And I was right. It was like the 40s, like 1942, I think. Right? Mm-hmm. So in 1890, what was there? Like, why would why would they take his ashes to this place? Right? Right. So I looked it up. And it turns out from about 1850 or so, um, the land that Cabrini Green used to be on and the surrounding areas were shanty towns. Oh, Okay. Um, first mainly of Irish immigrants Mm -hmm. and then, uh, Sicilian immigrants. 
mm-hmm. and then like a mixture of of sort of Sicilian and African American in these in these shanty towns. Mm-hmm. So even in 1890, it would have been a poor part of town. Right. So they took this man who had grown up in luxury, right? Like on mm-hmm. like on the Golden Mile, right? And they burnt him up and they took him to the poor part of town as like a final sort of slap in the face of like, right. you don't belong here. You belong over here. Right. Right. And also just also a slap on the face of like the people living there. Like we're going to come and dump our murder ashes on your <laughs> front stoop. Like here, here, have our murder ashes. They're free. <laughs> like, like fuck you buddy um so this you know this this um this giant bonfire right Mm -hmm. is significant to him Mm -hmm. and he has hidden the baby inside it yep And you are led to believe for a hot second there that they actually are going to go through with burning a baby alive. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And you're like, what are you doing? (laughs) Like, let's not, please. Let's not do that. Like, that is, that is a step, 10 steps too far. Like, Jesus Christ. Um, Mm -hmm. But they don't. They don't. Uh. Helen climbs into the, um, you know, pile of stuff to get the baby. Mm-hmm. She has decided to carry around a hook to defend herself, which is an ironic weapon. Right. <laughs> Jake, her little friend from before, sees the hook. Yep. But nothing else. He doesn't see her. He just sees the hook. And so he's like, oh, Candyman's mm-hmm. in there. He wakes up the whole place and they decide to set the thing on fire. Mm-hmm. Helen and the baby are both inside. Uh, Candyman tries to trap her in there with the baby, mm-hmm. which was not their deal. No. He's just out here like, hey, two birds. <laughs> right. He's like, oh, fuck you. Well... In fairness, the deal was that if she surrendered to him, he would give her the baby. Right. And she had technically at this point not done that. Right. In fact, she never really, she never actually does, technically. Mm-hmm. Um, so she does manage to get away from him. And she does mm-hmm. manage to crawl out of the pyre with the baby. However, uh, the baby is unharmed because she's like shielding him with her body. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, however, gets severely burned and ends up dying. Mm-hmm. Like she has sacrificed herself to save this baby, but not in mm-hmm. the way, not in the way that Candyman wanted her to. Right. Which makes the last scene not entirely make sense, but that's okay. Well, I guess in a way, in a way she kind of did. I mean, she did burn up. She just didn't burn in the way that he did necessarily which so this is so this is the other part by the way when because you know candyman's also like trapped uh-huh you're right candyman's you trapped absolutely right 
yep. in in there and uh, in the bonfire. Mm-hmm. And at the very end um, of the bonfire scene, um, Jake ends up seeing the burned body yes. of Candyman. You are correct. Mm-hmm. He does. He does actually see like a human form. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yep, you're right. So she's dead. Can, can I also really quickly just say Mm -hmm. with her being dead? She's dead. I love, I love the fact Mm -hmm. that with the, with the detail they did, I love the fact that like, cause you know, she was crawling through the fire her entire body caught on fire. Mm-hmm. Her hair burned away. Mm-hmm. When they show her body in the casket, you can see the burn marks along her scalp where her right. hair was. And then there's a wig. Right. That they put a wig on. But yeah, it's I like, mean, that's, yeah. yeah. I'm like, y'all with the details. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> because, you know, I mean, unless, unless you're fucking Kubrick, you're not right. usually shooting in order. So like, uh-huh. it's possible that that scene was, was shot I mean, I don't know this. Like, there's, you know, there's not, like, a, you know, shot schedule anywhere that mm-hmm. I saw. Um, right. But it's possible they they did that scene, like, you know, six weeks before they did the fire scene. Right? Like, um, mm-hmm. but, yeah. No, it is it is good. But they're having a funeral for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are committing her to the ground. It is Trevor and his <laughs> new girlfriend. Yeah. Uh, and the professor, mm-hmm. Purcell, the the Candyman expert, and that's it. That's that's all of them, and and the priest, right? That's all that's there, um, until the entire population of Cabrini Green shows up. Yep, led by Anne Marie holding her baby, who is now fine and safe. Um, mm-hmm. and I believe the main character in the new movie. As an adult. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. I, th- I think... Oh, like the baby is the main character yeah, as like, an adult? Yeah. Like the baby... That that baby grew up and is now the guy that's the main character in the movie. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because the in the trailer, they call that guy Anthony. And the baby's name is Anthony. Oh, I did not. I did not even catch that. And I, I just don't think that they would just randomly name that guy Anthony when like the baby is referred to by his name so much. Uh, and Jake, Jake, the little boy, is there as well, and he has the hook. Yep. Yep. And he throws it into her grave. Mm-hmm. Cut to. Mm-hmm. The chair jumper. Which honestly feels a little tacked on. Like, it doesn't really make sense <laughs> for the yeah. way the way that her story actually ended. Right. Like, or maybe that's it. Like, maybe maybe that's maybe that's the point. It's like, in a perfect world, her sacrifice would have saved her from the fate of the Candyman. Mm-hmm. But like, it's been made very clear in this in, you know, that this is not a perfect world. Right. And so like, he got her anyway. Mm-hmm. Or even that she replaced him. Which is, yeah, 
also very possible. I mean, in in the context of the first movie. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, in, in subsequent films. Um, in subsequent films, uh, Tony Todd returns as Candyman, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you were to take the last... If you take the first movie as the end of the story... Like, he has been destroyed in the fire. Right. And sort of by her sacrifice, kind of. Yeah, you would think that, like, how, yeah, how they made it seem is that he, he is gone now. Right, because all the beasts go. Right, 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 right. right. Um, but yes, Trevor is at home. <laughs> Trevor is at home with his new girl in his mm-hmm. pink and purple Bathroom's purple. Do you notice that? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> apartment now. Uh, and he's feeling guilty. As kind of, well, he should, right? Yeah, well, you fucked up, bud. You fucked up. <laughs> and now you're living with a child. Um, yeah. And he's kind of just like, you know, Hemming and hawing and sighing and like, you know, putting, splashing cold water in his face. And then he looks in the mirror and he says Helen's name. Mm-hmm. Several times. And she, uh, she appears in the room behind him mm-hmm. with the hook and the burned away hair that, you know, the scarification right. on her head. Uh, mm-hmm. And she says... What's the matter, Trevor? Are you scared of something? Which is a line she had said to him early in, earlier in the film. Mm-hmm. And then she guts him. Yep. And his new girl walks in with a kitchen knife. Right. And finds him dead. So I feel like the implication there is that she's going to do to this girl what Candyman did to her. Yep. She's going to frame her. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but that's it. That's how that's how the film ends. Mm-hmm. It's a great movie. This is a really great movie. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. It really is. Like the cinematography in this movie is is stunning. The cinematography, the production design. Mm-hmm. You know. The, the styling and the costume on, on Candyman, the effects, like when he opens, during the bee scene, when he opens the coat oh. and he's got the, like, yep. the bee, bees throughout this, like, partially desiccated ribcage that he has. Like, right. I think that's actually, I think that's, I think that's the picture that I bought that Tony Todd signed. Oh, was, really? Was, like, him with the coat open so you could see all the, oh. the stuff. So good. So good. Um, but yeah. So that is it for Candyman. Join us. Well, that's it for Candyman 1992. 90, yes, 92 version. Join us next week where we will be reviewing Candyman 2021. Yes. Which is very exciting. Very exciting. Yeah, I'm definitely excited to see, the, to compare between the two and see how they... Connect. How they... Yeah, how they move forward with the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, also, next week, 
uh, not this Sunday, but the following Sunday, the 5th of September, look out for another uh, Sunday Morning Scream video. Oh, yeah. On our YouTube. Um, until then, uh, rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Spotify. We have an Instagram. That's uh, F and Frights Podcast. We have a Twitter at F and Frights Pod. Uh, you can just search us Friday Night Frights on Facebook or YouTube, and you can find us there. Um, and then, of course, there is our Patreon Fright Club. Sean, mm-hmm. what is the first rule of Fright Club? The first rule of Fright Club is sometimes urban legends give good advice. Right. Like if, you know, an urban legend tells you not to say someone's name five times into a mirror, maybe you shouldn't, <laughs> says the girl who has absolutely said Candyman five times into a mirror and Bloody Mary <laughs> and the whole damn thing. Like I've done all the stuff and I'm still here. But uh, no. you are. But still don't do it because I mean, you never know. You never know. You never know who's going to pop out of that mirror at you. <laughs> well, it could be an actual full human who's just coming through a hole in the fucking wall. Yeah, no, that's just fucking terrifying. Still far God scarier bless. than anything a horror movie can ever come up with. <laughs> so, gays and ghouls, tune in next Friday night. You'll be in for a fright. But until then, sleep tight.